We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this week. This is day four. Look at verses 26 to 23 today. We're walking in this chapter through some principles for healthy worship, corporate worship that Paul gives us. He's talked to us about the edification principle, that we're building each other up in worship, the maturity principle. I gotta be concerned about the maturity of those speaking and also the maturity of those who are being spoken to in worship. And now he talks, beginning in verse 26, about a third principle, and that is the unity principle. We are unified together in worship. Listen to what he has to say in beginning in verse 26 and then reading through the first half of verse 33. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. In these verses, there are powerful principles for worship. And much of the truth behind this unity principle is in those last couple of verses, 32 and 33. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. We are subject to one another in worship. And then God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So if God is a God of peace, that means that in the unity principle, peace must reign in the worship service. It can't be a place of chaos. There must be a sense of peace. There has to be peace in the worship service. There has to be peace between Christians in the worship service. And Paul walks through that. He talks about peace in the worship service. Now, he knows that freedom in worship is important. He has a whole book. Galatians is all about our freedom to worship God and that we should not let anyone take our freedom from us to worship. But he's pointing out here that sacrificing order in the worship service, creating chaos and confusion is not the way to achieve freedom. In fact, he goes through very specifically and he says, here's some guidelines for worship, for freedom and worship. He says, if somebody's speaking in tongues, two, maybe three people can do that in a worship service. It has to be in turn, not all at once, and somebody has to interpret. Paul says that so that he can create peace. Now, he doesn't command that tongues be spoken in a worship service. He says, if it happens. He said earlier, I'd rather speak in prophecy, but if you're gonna do it, he says, here's how to do it. Prophecy, he says, same thing, two or at the most three. In most churches today, it's one person who brings a word of prophecy. Sometimes it's two or three. Sometimes people, will, one will do a scripture reading uh, and talk about it. Someone else will preach. Sometimes a testimony can also be a prophecy from God, speaking about how God's word has changed a person's life. So it doesn't have to be the sermon that is the prophetic word from God in a service. Paul says two or at the most three. And he says, then you weigh what's said. And each person should do it in turn. It's not all at once. Now, in their day, they were coming from a Jewish background where one person would speak and then another person would speak and another person would speak in church. This is the way that it was done. If you've ever been in a service where you have maybe two or three people speaking, the idea here is that one person shouldn't speak too long if you're going to have two or three. If one person speaks too long, if two or three are going to speak, that means the others don't have time. So if you're going too long and another person stands up and says, I have something to say, you sit down and let them speak. The point is, how do we look at God's word in a way that changes our lives? And the point is, confusion doesn't help that to happen. There has to be some order to the worship service. There is freedom to worship 
but there's an order to the worship. There's peace in the worship service, but there's also peace between Christians in that worship service, in our relationships. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to speak in tongues, all of us. And certainly nowhere are we commanded to speak in tongues, any of us, in a worship service. But we are commanded toward unity. We are commanded to love one another. And because of their misuse of the gifts, they were becoming disunified, and they were expressing not love for each other, but selfishness towards each other. And obviously, it was leading people who came to the worship service away from Jesus rather than towards Jesus. Same thing is true of preaching. Nowhere are you commanded to preach a sermon in a particular worship service where the Bible says, hey, on June 14th of this date, you are commanded to preach this worship service. But you are commanded to unity in the scripture. You are commanded to love. You're commanded to respect the pastor of that church. What Paul is saying here is that tongues, the selfish use of tongues just for myself or the, my selfish desire to speak cannot be allowed to become a wedge between me and another believer. It's peace between Christians. And if it's becoming a wedge, there's something dramatically wrong. So let's go back to those last couple of things that he said about how peace between Christians really works. Verse 32 and verse 33, the first part. Verse 32, spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. If I have a spiritual gift, that means if I'm truly using it in relationship, in unity in the body, I'm going to be subject to, I'm going to listen to, I'm going to learn from other people who have that same gift. The scariest person in a church is somebody who feels like they have a gift and no one can tell them a thing about it because they're the only one who knows it. They're the only one who understands it. When you meet somebody like that, this verse tells you they're wrong. They're just wrong. The idea that I have a giftedness that no one else has and so somehow that means I have a control over the church that no one else gets. I can demand things that no one else can demand. That's the gift insistence that we were talking about. One of those immature looks at gifts. If I truly have a gift of preaching, then if someone else who is a preacher comes up to me and says, you know, when you preach, I just heard something that I didn't, it didn't quite fit with God's word. Instead of saying to them, who are you to speak to me? The first thing I'm going to say is, that's the last thing I want to have happen. What did you hear? Help me to understand that so I can clarify that, so I can say it better the next time, so I make sure that God's word is what I'm preaching and not my idea is what I'm preaching. Now, this is true with prophecy. It's also true with all the other gifts. The spirits of those who have the gift of helps are subject to those who have the spirit uh, who have the gift of helps. The spirit of those who have the gift of administration are subject to those who have the gift of administration. There is this sense in unity in the body of Christ where if I have a gift, I'm going to learn from other people who have that gift. And if I'm not willing to do that, it shows that something's wrong with me. This is what was happening in Corinth. This is what Paul is warning about. And then in verse 33, as he talks about how to have peace between Christians, we're not only subject to one another, we have a humble attitude towards each other, but we're also subject to God. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He's reminding us here that the worship service should help us to understand who God is. It's a picture. A worship service, in one sense, is a picture of the character of God. And so when I think about, when we think about how to do worship services at our church, and when you, or when you think about it, one of the things that you think about, you have to think about is, how does this worship service picture the character of God? You could do crazy things in a, in a worship service. You could make it all about gimmicks and maybe get more and more people to come. I mean, you could have circus acts going on. You could have animals tromping through. You could have all these crazy things happening. And maybe it might get a lot of people to come. But the question is, is it so crazy 
is it so goofy that somehow it maligns the character of God. Now, I, I understand in different cultures, different ages, different times, we're going to have different feelings about what we should do and what we shouldn't do in worship, what songs are right, what songs are wrong. There are some people who would say we can only sing a hymn in worship because that's the only kind of song that shows the character of God. Well, that's probably true for them because they grew up with that kind of a song, and that kind of a song helps them to connect with God. But the truth of the matter is there are other kinds of songs. The Bible talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing in church. So it's not the idea, I use this, the fact that God is not a God of disorder but of peace to control other people to worship like I want, but it causes us as a body instead to think through, what are we doing in worship? And how does that worship service reflect the character of God? If a worship service reflects the character of God, there's going to be an attitude of reverence about it. There's going to be something in it that makes me reflect on the greatness of God. If a worship service reflects the character of God, there's also going to be an attitude of freedom about it, that I am free to worship him in a great sense of joy. The Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So if a worship service reflects the character of God, there's going to be an attitude of joy in it. And we could go down this again and again and again, but you see how it combines together to become a worship service that reflects who God is. And again, Paul is saying, worship is not just about you, just what you want, what you need. It is about others and what they need. But here in verse 33, he reminds us, most of all, it's about God and us coming together to reflect who God is to one another and with one another in a worship service. That's what happens when we worship together. So let's worship together right now. Lord, even though we're not all sitting together right now, as we hear this prayer, we're worshiping you together. And as we worship, we do want to reflect in our hearts and towards others who you are. Your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness, your power, your love. There are so many character qualities, Lord. So many characteristics of who you are that we see lived out in the way you have treated us and the way you will work in our lives. So Lord, in my private worship, in my public worship, let it be about you. Let it reflect back into my heart who you are and then out of my life who you are. Let worship change me to become more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us tomorrow. Just when you think we have all the questions answered in this chapter, Paul's going to throw us a real zinger at the end of the chapter. Yeah.